Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? The week has been good. You know, last week, you know, I never really go back and listen to the whole podcast. I know that's like guilty. Something about listening to us talk is like, should I be like, listen to myself talk, right? But this, uh, the last episode, I listened to myself gripe and complain. So I'm not going to complain this week. I'm going to say it has been a good week. I had a good Mother's Day weekend. I had a little brunch at the house. It was fantastic. I had family and friends in town. It was good. Um, it was definitely um, busy. Not much relaxation, but definitely good to say the least. Although Harrison thought it was a birthday party, right? He's like, have we sing happy birthday yet? When are we singing happy birthday? And I was like, uh, it's not anybody's birthday. And then like 15 minutes later, he like, is it time to sing happy birthday? I'm like, okay, again, it's not anybody's birthday. So he was thinking, oh, we have people. We have people in town. It must be somebody's party, right? Somebody turned four. And maybe it's me. Is it my birthday? No, my birthday's in June. You know, no, it's still May. So it was uh, it was fun, though. Um, you know, Mother's Day, uh, I was telling somebody earlier, I'm like, Mother's Day is like the new Valentine's Day for <laughs> for any woman that has carried a child. It is the new Valentine's Day. So, guys, if you did not know, we expect, like, really nice gifts on Mother's Day now. These are also, this is also the holiday for you to prove your love to us, okay? So, uh, yeah, it's uh, Valentine's Day Part 2. Yeah, it was good. How was your weekend? I worked a lot, of course, and I did. So this past weekend was super fun. A couple of things. It's very odd. It was a very interesting weekend. So I worked on Saturday night, and then I went to go to a watch party after that for the defenders who unfortunately lost in the finals in the championship, but went to go to a watch party there, then met some more friends. Okay, long of it is short. I got home at like six o'clock in the morning on Mother's Day Sunday. 
like I was still 20. And there are a couple of things that I realized once I, okay, so my mother and I had planned on going to church together on Sunday, which we did. However, my church still takes temperature. So when I got to church after having been out all night, I had a fever of 101. And so I had to sit in the car (laughs) while my mom went into church. So you know what that told me? Because then later on, I didn't have a fever after I had gotten some rest. You know what it told me? Another reminder that Janine is not 20 anymore. Because while I felt like I could still push and I, you know, pulled myself together so I didn't look like last night, my body was like, er, girl, pause. What's going on? So, yeah, that's how my weekend was. But then I did get to enjoy Mother's Day with my mom. So. So. So let's let's tell the truth here, right? Uh-huh. So one, you out there having a hot girl summer already. Working and having a hot girl summer. That's <laughs> that's spoken like a, a true trooper. I'm just sitting here thinking, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to keep up, like leaving my house at three PM and not getting back home until six AM. I didn't think I did that in college, Janine. I don't think I did that then. I was like the old friend in college, so I remember like Melissa was mad. What was that uh, club that was right across the right across the um, the Katie. canal? Yes, yeah. but what was it called? The one that had the phone parties all the time. They changed the name of it. Uh, <laughs> it changed to Chocolate City or something. Like Y'all that. know what we're talking about. Yep. If you've ever been to Xavier University, the club that's literally right across the street, right across the little canal. I wore. A brown and tanned, a tan dress. This is freshman year. You may have been there with us, Janine. And it had like a little tie and splits up the side, but it was fitted, right? And let me tell y'all something. Freshman year, you couldn't tell me nothing, okay? So I knew I was looking good, but I wasn't like Hoochie Mama looking good. I was classy. Hoochie Mama with the slit up the side looking good, right? So Melissa was like, you need to put a shorter dress on. You dressing like somebody that's 30. You're not 30. You're only 20. Uh, you know, I wasn't even 20 at that time. I think it was like 18 or 19. And um, and I was like, no, I'm, this is what I'm going to wear. And I'm, I'm going to wear it. And I, that is what I wore that day. But I remember she was like, you're not hoochie enough <laughs> to be going out. Even then, I wasn't like you were doing, Johnny, and leaving the house at 3 p.m. and coming back home at 6 a.m. So I didn't do it back then either, and I don't do it regularly now, but what I've found is being an events person, when you do events, other people want you to come to their events, right? So I've also found that at this age, if I'm out, it's easier for me to stay out than for you to get me out if I'm not out. So when I'm out and people invite me to things, I will continue to stay out until I have to like regroup, right? But if I'm in the house and you invite me to something, you can bet your bottom dollar unless you are like in my tight, tight circle that I'm not leaving my home. Like if I'm not getting paid and this sounds real selfish and that's not how I intend it to be, but I know how I am. If I'm not getting paid or I'm not going to the house of the Lord or to see one of my very close friends or to like pet puppies or something, literally, I mean puppies, like petting puppies. I'm really not going to leave my house for much of anything because it's just where I am in this in this day and age, right? But I will say that once I'm out, if you catch me in these streets 
and you say, hey, I'm having A, B, and C pull up, I'm much more likely to show up than I am to leave the home and show up to your thing. So Janine said, ask me to pull up. I'll pull up on you if I'm already out and about. That's so funny. But you know, what our listeners probably really want to know is, but when you were in the car by yourself, did you take a nap? Or did we listen to church online? You really listen to church online? Oh, she's such a... I did. Look at that just good Koji girl. I did listen to church online. And it was very good too. So I I wasn't going to take a nap in, in there because I was a little concerned at first, to be very honest with you, because when they took my temperature and it said 101, I was like, I was out all night. Now I'm trying to figure out like, could I have caught COVID? Like legit, that's the first thing that came through my mind, right? And then I was like... I also know my body and I often feel sick when I am like worn down, but I didn't even feel sick. Like I didn't feel like I was getting a scratchy throat when I get super, super tired and haven't had any rest. Like sometimes it'll feel like my throat is scratchy and I'll start sounding like a man a little bit. I know my voice is already a little deep. So, you know, when I don't get sleep, it sounds real froggy. So that was part of it. Part of it was like nerves, like Jesus, do I have COVID? And then my mom's been in the car. So that means that I could have possibly given COVID to my mom. And it was all of those things were kind of going through my mind. So I needed, I needed to watch church. But then also it was more like anyone who knows me knows this. Like I really have this thing about if I have enough strength and energy to stay out all night, I had better have enough strength and energy to stay up in church the next morning. So I don't play the like, hey, well, this is nap time. There was a point in my life where I did do that, where I would stay out all night and work the club, stay up till two, three, four, or five o'clock in the morning consistently every weekend and make it to church maybe two or three times a month. And it just, it wasn't a good point in my life. And I'm not going to say that, you know, if you don't go to church consistently, you're going to have bad points in your life. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying for me personally, that wasn't working for Janine and that wasn't working for my walk. Okay, Jenny, so um, what's on our timeline this week? Okay, Nicole, so Gabrielle Union is on our timeline. So we've talked about her and D-Wade and all of their family before, but this week is a little different. And honestly, Nicole, this week I thought about this. We've been talking about some like kind of heavy, weird like family stuff, but this one is super positive. I really actually really like this. It's positive and like, I feel like there are points of growth in here. I love it. So let's let's chat. So Gabrielle Union is on our timeline this week, and she sat down with uh, Bloomberg, which is you know the the public the organization, um, for an episode of Idea Generation. So Idea Generation is run by Noah. So Noah's the guy that's founded Complex, or he was the editor in chief of Complex. So we'll get into that in a second. But in the interview. It basically is a journey through her career from her starting up as a model, like an ad model, nonetheless, not like a runway model, like an ad ad model, which is a little different. It's not as prestigious um, to her acting and her starring and then even becoming a producer and a writer um, and just doing all of the things and building this empire that she has. In this interview, she goes over all of that. Basically, like how it all began, why she began to build this empire, all of the brands. It talks about all of the things that she does, like all of the things that she does to support her family. Right. So I I know, Nicole, it probably sounds like I'm being super vague about this, but I am because the interview was actually really, really good. And I don't want to like recap the interview here. 
because I really want people to go watch it. It's very, very good. You just, if you just Google like Bloomberg idea generation, once you get to the page, you'll see the Gabrielle Union one. Click it. It's only 30 some minutes. It's super quick and the conversation is super great. So please go, go listen. But there's a particular portion of this interview that I wanted to focus on, right? So y'all go watch the whole thing. It's great. But this part, I just want to make sure that y'all like, this is the important part. I'll say, I'll say that. So Noah was in fact, the editor in chief at complex. He was a writer on MTV. He was also an editor at Vibe magazine and he worked a bunch of places like some record labels. He's, he's great. And he asked a very like journalistic question. Like, you know, those zingers, the ones that we usually get from like Oprah or we used to get from Barbara Walters, like those ones you're like, that's the question that we all wanted to ask. And this is what he said. He said, at what point did you develop that first sense of security? Now, this is what he's talking about. Not security like, hey, I feel safe, but security like financial security, right? And then he goes on to say, you know, to clarify, he says the idea that the work is going to come. So as long as I keep knocking it out of the park, there's going to be more. And this idea that the the rug is not somehow still going to be pulled out from under you. So basically he's asking like, when did she know that she made it and arrived and like, she didn't have to worry about money anymore. So that's the essence of the question. Right. And as he's asking it, the camera pans to Gabrielle Union's face and she's making this like perplexed, like out eyebrow raised face, like, you know, the face that every black woman knows, like the, what you talking about? Like, huh? That, that face, the face, if you say what I just said, that face that you made, right? She makes this face and then she pauses for a second. And then she says in the most honest like earnest feeling manner. She says, I struggle with that. And she struggles with it because she has more responsibilities now. There are more responsibilities for her money. So she said that she still gets nervous because she often wonders if she's going to have enough. If she's going to have enough as much as she makes, if she's going to have enough to hold up everybody and all of her responsibilities. She said that she's trying to find peace in the journey and she's trying to not use her anxiety and her scarcity mindset to be her engine. So what I took from that was basically she's used to things being scarce. She's used to not, you know, in modeling and, and acting and all the things, right? I mean, we even know about this after post-pandemic. We don't know if the next check is coming. We don't know if, if we're still going to have a job tomorrow. We don't know what the next gig is. We don't know any of this, right? We kind of just live, try to, to be wise and save for a rainy day. What, you know, they used to tell us, oh, save, make sure that you have six months of your expenses in a savings account. Then the pandemic hit. And guess what? That six months came and went and we were still in the middle of a pandemic, right? There, all of these things, we're used to things being scarce. So this told me that as much money as she's making, she is used to maybe not having enough or knowing where the next check was coming from or when she was going to work next. And then it was like a, 
like poignant moment, right? She said to Noah, as she sits on top of her 40 plus million dollar empire, married to a man who is an NBA player or former NBA player that's worth over $175 million. And she utters the most simple thing that I just, it just resonated with me. She said, it's hard. She said, with all of the households that she has to support, she feels like it puts this gorilla on her back that she always it has to do better, has to work harder, has to do more. And she said, it's kind of this thing that this internal dialogue that she has with herself that says, oh, you want to sleep in? Okay, well, someone might not eat if you sleep in. Like, if you take that time for yourself, like, some, something might fall through the cracks and you might not make it. Did I mention, Nicole, that she's worth $40 million? And she still feels that. She says it's hard to let it go. And, you know, she's just working on it. But she's not there yet. She hasn't let go of that, that scarcity mindset. She hasn't let go of that fear that sometimes she might not have enough. So I personally feel like everyone at this point should be able to relate to the scarcity mindset, right? Especially post-pandemic, especially because we all didn't know what was going to happen. If we were going to have a job, were we going to get furloughed? Were we going to be working 24 hours a day? Were we even going to be here the next day? Like we, we, it was the uncertainty that was stoking fear or driving fear. And I think that anyone probably who ever has not had enough or had to make a decision about what they were going to buy at the grocery store or had to eat cup of noodles one too many times when you knew that that ain't really what you wanted. Like anyone who's had a little bit of a struggle, you probably still have that in the back of your mind, especially I feel like black women. Cause we always feel like, well, well, at least I do. I don't know if you feel like this, Nicole, but I feel like sometimes no matter how much I make, I need to make sure that I have enough for me and I have enough for others because if something else happens, I don't want to have to try to help them and sacrifice myself, but let me just have a little extra nest egg over here just in case. It's a lot. Like you, you make decisions about what you're going to do, where you're going to go, what you're going to buy, what you're going to wear. You make those decisions based on the fact that you've been in a place where you didn't have everything that you wanted and you might not have had everything you needed to be very honest. Right. I don't know. Um, I just feel like if you've ever come from not having something or you've ever had to struggle a little bit extra or you ever had to witness, you know, people struggling a little bit extra that were close to you and there was nothing you could do because you just had enough. I feel like you can relate to this idea of the scarcity mindset. I don't know. Um, it, it feels it feels like something that we we all can relate to. Right. And I just thought that it was very ironic that, you know, these two super successful people were sitting in this interview. Right. Both of them successful in their own right. And he asked this question, like, when did you realize that you had arrived? And I'm pretty sure, and I don't know, I'm pretty sure he expected to get an answer that was like, oh, you know, when I did this movie. But that isn't what he got. Because for us, it's a little different. For us, scarcity mindset is a paycheck, a callback, a, a gig, a business opening or closing away. And we might not be able to recuperate and, and revive and, and reignite our career the same way that our white male counterparts might be able to. 
I don't know. It's just something about that just resonated with me. But I also thought about it like this, Nicole. I thought, like, for us, we don't necessarily get the chance to allow ourselves the opportunity to enjoy the space that we're in because we're so focused on not returning to scarcity. Like, we don't even get a chance to give ourselves the opportunity to enjoy the enough, right? Like, let alone enjoy the abundance. Because we're always so, I don't want to say fearful, but we're always so mindful of not returning to scarcity. I don't know. That's just how I felt. What do you think, Nicole? I think that I could definitely relate to what she was saying. Um, And I think a lot of people can, especially if you're in a career that's based off of gigs, right? It's not like you're doing a nine to five, but at the same time, you almost have to with that kind of gig, you are taking a risk, right? You can be, you've seen struggling artists and if you're an actor or an actress, that is art. So there may not be the next gig if you are in the middle of a pandemic. You could stop shooting, stop filming for a prolonged period of time. So I understand that. And then when she says like all these households depend on me and if I don't get out of bed today, like somebody may not eat. That's some real stuff. Like that hit home so much. Like I'm sitting here like there are some days that I want to quit my job, but I realize that everybody in my office may not have a job if I quit my job. So that means they don't eat. You know, my mom is, I'm paying my mom her salary. If I don't work, she don't, she don't eat. I mean, then that's a, a real thing. And that is pressure. But it's like that motivating pressure that makes you want to do even more. So it's good and bad. But once you're sitting on $40 and even if you don't get your next gig, your husband who is like part owner of a basketball franchise and who's sitting on $100 that should be enough to make you feel like very comfortable. I mean, there are women that are working as secretaries whose husband's you know, are working at, you know, as, as, as an Amazon truck driver and they will quit their job and be like, my man working, I don't need this job anyway. And will quit their jobs. And she's sitting on 40 million with a husband that's, you know, sitting on over a hundred million. And she's like, well, I got to get up because if I don't work, somebody don't eat. I mean, that's a little bit extreme, but I do understand that the lifestyle that she has it's not like she can call Uncle Timbo to help pay her mortgage that month, you know. Nobody can help her, you know. So it's on a different level of cost of living. And when you are on $40 million, but you spend $10 million a year to live, that's on a different level. I mean, so we can't relate to that kind of need for money because we don't have those kinds of call them famous, extraordinary expenses, you know, the more money you make, the more money you use to live off of is a real thing. So she does need more money to sustain the lifestyle that she has. So I do understand her point. If you take away the dollar amount and not make it so extreme and say, hey, she is somebody that is gig driven and she has expenses 
and she has people that work under her and she also has family that she supports, you can definitely relate to where she's coming from. And unfortunately, a lot of our Caucasian counterparts, they don't have to deal with taking care of the family, being the successful one in the family that has to pay for, you know, big mama's expenses and, you know, child, uh, you know, uh, elderly care and all the things that the person that has money in the family may have to step up and do because unfortunately black people don't have much generational wealth. Our generational wealth is very, very limited and that forces us to, to have this scarcity mindset to be able to sustain our lives and the lives of all the family that we support, plus the people that work underneath us. So um, I get it. That's real. Remember when we had that guy on that was a financial expert and he was like, it's the black tax. And that's real. That's real. It's the black tax. It's literally a thing that people that we don't realize because rather than us, and this is unfortunate in our community and I'm not generalizing, but I've seen it happen multiple times and my family as well, rather than us taking out life insurance and figuring out how to even just do the basics for our family, we would rather like hoard and try to keep everything that we have. And when we splurge, we splurge, but it's not necessarily the best thing to splurge on. Like, it's just, it's very interesting what we do, but um, Nicole, do you remember watching Girlfriends? I know that you didn't like the show because like you couldn't relate to none of the characters. But do you remember did you did you watch it? So my sister loves Girlfriends and she was here for Mother's Day weekend and so she obviously watched it this weekend. I mean, it's not that I hated Girlfriends. I just thought why do we have to be perceived like this? These are black professional women that still have so much so many insecurities. And I know that that's, that can be very real, but it would be nice to, for black women to be portrayed a little bit more on the positive side. That's all that I was saying. But it is entertainment. And so, yes, I did watch Girlfriends from time to time. Okay. Do you remember that Tony Childs had a Don't Go Back to Fresno fund, right? Like she was a wealthy attorney and doing super well, but she hoarded this money because she was constantly in fear of being broke at some point. Right. And she had this fund that she held onto that was hundreds of thousands of dollars. If I don't, if I remember correctly, because she just wanted to make sure that under any circumstances, she didn't go back to Fresno. And that's what this reminds me of. Right. Like just in case, like we always have this safety net, right? Like. I don't know, but I know when I was very, very young, I don't know how old I was, but I had to be before I was nine. My grandmother used to tell me, like, make sure that you have a little nest egg set aside because we all we've been just conditioned to believe that we have to have something set aside for that just in case that rainy day that just in case something happens, because we can't just go to the bank and ask for a loan the same way that our counterparts can. Right. That is that's not how this works. So I'm feeling it like. This is really a thing. And I didn't, it wasn't something that was in the forefront of my mind before I listened to this or I watched this interview, but that's a real thing. And I asked myself, I was like, do I really do this? And I 
am very well aware that there are things that I told myself that I would get or do when I made a certain amount of money and that amount of money I've made and it's come and gone and I still don't do or don't purchase or won't go certain places because I still don't think that that's a good use of my money and I'd rather use it on something that's more practical, right? So there's always just this idea that maybe you shouldn't do that or this little bit of guilt that maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should work harder or do more or, you know, because if you don't, then something's going to suffer and you might have to go back to Fresno. And that's the thing. Girl, that's just, that's like me going back to Doritos. It ain't happening. Okay. I will go and, and hook on a corner before that happened. It ain't happening. Oh, well, Nicole, we're not, we not going to let you hook on the corner, but I get it. Yeah, maybe Ken can get us some more endorsements for this podcast. <laughs> Give us some chump change so I won't have to go back to Dorita. But anyway, so you ready to read through some of these letters? Let's do it. All right, so the first letter reads, Nicole and Janine, my husband and I have two different mindsets when it comes to money, although we're from similar backgrounds. I grew up pretty poor, so I feel like I should always save up for a rainy day or just in case other family members need help. You see, I've always been the person who holds things together and is there to bail people out when the ish hits the fan. I understand that money can be affected at any moment based on the hiring of new employees, a pandemic, etc. Now, my husband, on the other hand, calls his upbringing lower middle class, although I feel like his mom working at the water company and his dad being absent and not paying child support made him poor as well. But because he didn't have much growing up, I feel like he has something to prove. He works hard as a school teacher, for sure, but he drives a Mercedes and likes to buy a lot of name brand clothes and invest in random stuff. When we were dating, I thought he must have invested well with his money and some outside interest because he had a few condos he renovated and rented out. But now that we're married, I realize that he's someone who lives check to check and is okay with living check to check. It's as if he doesn't understand that we have to save for emergencies. Now, although I make more money than he does as a licensed professional social worker, I have had to cut back to make sure I'm saving what needs to be saved for the household. And it is burning me up. Ladies, how do I get my husband to understand that we need to save more money instead of him constantly splurging? Sign, Everly. Okay, so Everly, let me tell you this. Most people, and I'm not saying that this is your husband, but I'm just saying general rule of thumb. If people are spenders, they're going to continue to spend. No matter what it is that you do, the concept of money burning holes in people's pockets is real, right? If that's how he is, it's not likely that you're going to change that behavior. It's just not. Let's be honest. What you can do, though, is kind of make a workaround for him. People, there are certain people who are spenders and there are certain people who are savers, right? And you're not saying that he's taking the money from the bills to splurge. That's not what you're saying. What you're saying is he can't save any money because he likes to spend it because he lives probably in the of the mindset that you can't take it with you so he might as well spend it while he's here. Which is a a train of thought, right? You seem to be a person that likes to think in a more safe manner 
and risk averse, as we would like to say, right? And you're just like, hey, I'm going to save just in case because the people may need something and I'm here to support them, right? First of all, let me tell you this. This is not, they're not your responsibility and you're probably stressing yourself out because you enjoy or you are allowing yourself to be the safety net for these other people. You don't have to do that. You don't feel obligated to do that. That is not requirement of you. If you can help people, great. If you can't help them, maybe they can catch you next time, but it is not your obligation. You don't have to be the safety net. Some of those people probably should become a little bit more responsible with their spending so that you don't have to help them. Now, back to your husband. I understand that it's probably frustrating, but he, again, you didn't say that he's not paying the bills. If he's paying the bills and his responsibilities are taken care of, honestly, girl, you don't know what, let him splurge, right? Is he buying you nice gifts? Let him splurge. But what you will do is take the money that you will have left over because he's taking care of the bills and you will stash that away so that you can have the money so that you can save. You're not going to change him. You might change him temporarily, but ultimately he's going to fall back into the same pattern that he's been in because people who like to spend money, they spent, they're spenders. That's just what happens. And people who save money, they're savers. And as frustrating it is for the savers that you watch people spend money on frivolous stuff like eating out and buying shoes and clothes and stuff like that, it's, it's not really anything that you can do about it. That's what they want to do with their money. Just like you want to save your money. And as much as I just told you that you don't have to be the safety net for those people, I bet you you will be there when they call the next time because that's how you are. Let him do what he wants to do with his money. If it bothers you enough, which I hope it doesn't, you won't be with him anymore. But I don't really think it's that big of an issue because you ain't say he was out here squandering. He don't have a gambling problem. You didn't say none of that. What you said was he just likes to spend. He's a spender. You married a spender. Girl, you might just have to deal with it. Sorry. What do you think, Nicole? Um, I agree with some of what you're saying, Janine. Um, don't leave your husband. Not over this. <laughs> so um, sometimes as women, we have to step up and be managers of the household. And I, I'm a firm believer in that. I think that it's good for the man to lead and take control. But as the woman, we sort of have to step back and say, let's make sure this is all adding up, right? Like, for example, a man can live in a house that has like nothing in it. Like they are very comfortable with like an air mattress and a sofa and a TV. Like that is, that's men. And they will be like, this is silly to pay, you know, $5,000 for this, sofa set, but then go and blow money on their cars, right? Like that's, men do that kind of thing. But I think that as women, we're like, we know we can do this on a much lower budget than what he's talking about. And we get the job done. So I will say one, we may have to, you may have to stifle away some money and put it in a separate account and save for the household. That may be you telling him, Hey, can you get when you and asking him randomly, hey, I need to go. I need to do something. Can you give me two hundred dollars when you get paid and putting that money to the side? So and he doesn't even have to know what it's for. Just putting that money to the side or some people do better when they're saving for a goal. Right. So my mom is, you know, she is basically our full time nanny. Right. So we pay her a certain amount. But my mom has no bills. We paid her house off. She has no car. We bought her car. 
She doesn't have any insurance. The only thing my mom has to do is pay her property taxes and pay her cell phone bill. That's literally legit all she has to do, right? And you would think that means that she's saving a lot of money, right? No, it doesn't. She likes to shop. She likes to look good. She likes to go get her hair and her nails done. And that just gives her more freedom to do the things that she really likes. But now I'm like, hey, I really want to go to Hawaii next summer. We need to save our coins to go to Hawaii. And now she's like, please take $200 a paycheck and move it over there to the side because I really want to go, right? So it's forcing her to save for a goal. So maybe he's that person that needs something to save for a goal and say, hey, yes, when I get paid, move this automatically over here because we're saving for, I don't know, our next set of condos or I don't know, our next vacation. Or, hey, we have a goal of how much we need to save before we can splurge. Like, let's try to save this over the next year. So you divide, you get that number, you divide it evenly between the two of you guys and say, this is how much you're contributing, this is how much I'm contributing. And this is, you know, and and this is the account we're going to put it in. So maybe saving for a specific thing. Like some people just need to see their money being utilized for something or for some goal before they you know, can allocate money somewhere else. So I would say be creative with how you save um, a little bit at a time. Just be intentional putting your money to the side and asking him for money to put to the side. And then once you have the amount that you guys agreed upon, you can't get mad if he splurges the rest of it, right? Like make a goal and say, hey, you get paid, I don't know, $3,000 a month. And out of that $3,000 a month, I think that we should save 800 of those dollars. Like Once you get that goal, you can't get mad at him spending the rest of it. And if you are, that means that you need to set up another savings account and say, hey, we're also going to put $50 a month each in this other account for this other thing. Okay, So that way, you've saved a year or two years or however long you want to save to reach whatever your savings goal is. Now, it sounds like you definitely have a scarcity mindset, whereas he's like, oh, we just go sprinkle money everywhere. Let's make it rain. If my tire breaks down, I'm going to walk for two weeks until I get paid again because I know I'm going to get paid again, you know, next Friday. He's one of those more free-spirited people and has this, like, you know, mentality of access. Like, everybody's going to have excessive opportunities to get money and you're like no that ain't right so y'all just need to touch and agree on like how much to put to the side to save and i think that this could be a very easy fix okay nicole here's my letter this one says hi ladies i love your podcast the two of you pursuing your dreams is inspiring to me so i wanted to send you a little love from nyc i'm writing because i need some straight advice and i know that you'll deliver So I recently quit my unfulfilling job with a major financial institution to pursue my dreams of opening a dance studio. No, I didn't abruptly quit. I planned and saved for almost five years for this very moment. So I was prepared for my plans and they seem to be working out pretty well. And it's been six months. The only issue that I've had is my mom. When I broke the news to my mother, she was not at all proud or pleased. She said she doesn't know why 
I would be so stupid to leave a job that I could retire from to work for myself. She just kept telling me that I'm not being safe or wise and that I should be more stable at this age because I could end up with nothing. She even had the social security talk with me saying it won't be there for your generation. And I was just over the conversation. It was almost as if my mother wanted to stoke fear in me. Now, about my mother, I somewhat understand because she was raised, mm, we'll say poor. She only wanted to work so that she could then retire with a pension. She's very frugal to this day as she fears that she will be poor again. She even holds on to what she calls nice things for special occasions because she doesn't know if she'll be able to afford them again. Ladies, how can I get my mom to let me live? But better yet, how can I get her to live and enjoy life without this fear? Signed, Ayana. So Ayana, I mean, you're not going to change the mindset of your mama. She old school, baby. And if she's of the baby boomer generation, like they went through a lot. Like they don't have much. They're used to, you know, rubbing two cents together and like making it stretch. So you're not going to change her mindset. How can you get her to enjoy life? Well, you know, if you want her to enjoy life, you could pay for her a trip. You can send her on a trip, send her on vacation. That'll allow her to travel for free so that she can enjoy life. Now, in terms of, you know, how can you change your mom's mindset? You, first of all, you grow. You don't have to tell her what you're doing. Like, as long as you are financially stable, it sounds like you've been planning for quite some time, for five years. It's not like you didn't plan it. And you just have to figure out if things aren't working the way you want them to work, how long can you sustain the new company that you made versus having to go live in with mama? Okay, because that's really the question. And if you get one or two years into it, like what is your threshold to say, okay, enough is enough. This is not working. I think when you have a real conversation and you think about that before you actually get started, which I know that you've got started already, but you're still in the early stages. Like ask, like, what are the things that will make me toss in the towel and say, I got to get a nine to five. You need to know that, you know, your, your make or break it point when it comes to these businesses beforehand so you know when you should keep pushing forward or whether it's all a new point and you're wasting your time and so you need to get out hang it up and uh, find another job but I think that just having a brief conversation with your mom and saying hey listen thank you so much for the concern I don't plan to fail but if I see that this is not going financially in the trajectory that I wanted to go in I'm not afraid to go roll my sleeves up and get a job. Like, I'm not afraid to work. I think once parents understand that and see that you are successful in your endeavors, I don't think that you're going to have a problem with your mom. But in terms of your question, the regret, you're not going to get that. Now, let me say this. I agree with Nicole in the fact that your mom is probably a boomer. And if she's not a boomer, she's of an earlier generation. And if she's right after the boomers, She's probably, we hope that your mom is a boomer. And she could be right after the boomers, which they're, they were, they still had a pension too, right? I say this because to the point is your mom is older and it's much more likely that she's set in her ways. So girl, let that part go. Now, 
encouraging her or helping her or paying for her to enjoy life, do so. But be mindful. Like, you know, if your mama is anything like the mamas that I know, I'm going to say this. You can buy them something and they may be grateful and be very appreciative, but they're not going to use it. Because if it's fancy and you said that your mom has this saving it for you know a special occasion, they just want it to say that they have it. Like it's a status symbol that nobody's going to see. It's not like our generation where we get something and we want the people to see it because we worked hard for this, right? Like that's not them. So be mindful of how you're helping your mother to enjoy life because you may get frustrated just the same. So if you go buy her something, then you don't see it. Don't be mad because she might still be saving it for a rainy day. That hit home a little, just, you know. But I will, I will say this. I agree with Nicole. Don't try to change your mom. Help her enjoy life, but don't try to change her. On the other hand, for you, I will say this. Your mom is going to be concerned, no matter what it is that you do, because she's your mom. Now, imagine the disappointment that my parents had when I decided to come home from Xavier University and say, I'm not going to be a doctor anymore. I'm going to pursue this super artsy career, right? It took my parents years to figure out what I was doing for a living. I mean, years. And sometimes I'm not even sure that they know what I do for a living now because they had very structured jobs, right? And it's okay. My job is not as structured or traditional, I should say, as their job. I do events. Events are great, but events are more creative-minded than they are, you know, like logistics and logic, right? Um, and I, I say this because it's not that the job is any better or worse or it has any less earning potential or more earning potential, even though if we're being honest, there are some jobs that earn more, but you're about to be an entrepreneur. So you don't really have a, you have limitless earning potential, right? What I'm saying is people of a different generation don't necessarily understand those things. I was raised where they say, what do you want to be? You want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a firefighter? Those are the things that I saw, right? But as I got older, I also saw that you can be something else and it doesn't have to be one of these five, 10 things. But as I said, my parents, they don't necessarily understand it. They know where I work. They kind of have an idea of what I do, but they don't know what my list of responsibilities are. And if you asked my parents, they probably would give you, between the two of them, some sort of hodgepodge that kind of resembles what I do for a living. And it's okay. It's okay for them not to fully understand, right? Just like I don't fully understand what they did for a living. I understand the concept of it, but I don't understand it. I just have to be secure in the fact that this is a job that affords me the lifestyle that I wish, even if it doesn't. It's just a job that I enjoy that's fulfilling. It's making me happy. It sounds crazy to say that a job that's fulfilling and enjoyable that does events after a pandemic where everything was shut down for two years is what I would go to, but that's what I'm going to. And just like after where I'm assuming that it was after the pandemic that you quit your job, but you have been saving for five years. You had this planned. You have to live in the greatness that you were supposed to live in. I understand that your mother might not understand, but you have to do this for you. You're not living your mama's life. That's all I'm saying. You got to do it for you and continue to do it for you. And don't let her sway you 
because she feels insecure because she may. You said that she grew up poor. It doesn't sound like you did, though. So it sounds like you you have a nest egg and you had a plan and that's all we can ask. But don't let her sway you and don't try to change her. Now, I do agree with all of that. And I will say, um, you know, let's let's stop sharing all the business with our family that we don't have to do that. Listen, I'm a whole doctor, but ask me what my specialty is. My mama cannot tell you. So it's not just you that your family doesn't know what you do. My family don't know what I do at all. Okay. People that hired me at my job, they don't know what I do either at all. So uh, just recognize that what you do is, is important. Okay. And you may have to tell people what it is you do and show people what it is you do. But the only thing that matters is your fulfillment in your business. And that is successful and it's paying your bills. After that, everything else does not matter. It's just somebody's random opinion that you didn't pay for. So let's leave those opinions at the door and stop talking to your mama about your career, especially if you have saved and you're not going to ask her for any money. Not her money. So why she? Why does she care so much about this? I understand because she wants you to be stable when she's not there. But it seems like you're doing a pretty good job on your own. So that's all my attitude sense. I think you should just keep your mouth shut around your mama about your career. All right, Johnny. So what did you learn new this week? So I was still learning it literally as you just asked me because I found more articles about this. But I was very interested to know what the Union Wade combo owns, right? So yeah, they he played basketball. Yeah, she is a as an actress slash model slash producer. But they own a lot of companies, right? So the first thing they seeming seemingly, and it's hard to keep up with their timeline because it seems like they just pushing it out, right? The first thing that they seem to have invested in is real estate, right? So their real estate ventures started from just selling a, their, you know, a house that Dwayne Wade resided in, but it made them over $10 million just by the sale of one property, right? So that was a, a, a good little cushion and nest egg. But they also have Bitsy Snacks. They have Flawless by Gabrielle Union, which is a hair care product line. Bitsy Snacks is snacks for kids. Super cute. Um, they have Proudly, which is a skincare line, I believe, for kids. They are both authors. He's the part owner of the Utah Jazz. He's the host of the Cube Show. It's a game show. If you've ever seen it, it's actually pretty funny. Then he, they have Wade Sellers Wines. Then they have the Wade Family Foundation, which is their nonprofit. Then they have a slew of endorsements. They have endorsements for Neutrogena, for Sleep Number. Their kids even own teams or part owner or are part owners of teams and they own books or have written books they've had endorsements for kids clothing line there's a lot there a lot they do production i mean it there's a lot there there's no shortages of ways for this couple to make money and if i'm not mistaken and i did not see this but if i'm not mistaken Dwayne Wade recently invested in NFT non-fungible tokens i think that's what it's called and also in cannabis. So there's a whole lot of investments going on that seem to be very wise, smart investments. And even with all of that, Gabrielle Union still 
has this feeling that at some point the rug might be pulled out from under her. So I learned that they are very wise, very profitable investors. So what did you learn this week, Nicole? All I have to say is that list that you just read out is like exhausting. And listen, I'm trying to like have like maybe like a couple things on that list. I'm trying to listen. I want to grind like that. I need I need multiple streams of income. Now that I'm in my 40s, Johnny, I need to regroup, figure out what to do with my life. But um, hmm, that's neither here nor there. So what I learned um, was from an article that is called Four Ways to Shed Scarcity Mindset and Increase Collaboration. Have you heard of this article, Jenny? No. So here are the four ways, and uh, I liked all of them. Uh, one, foster collaborative relationships. And you know that people that have a scarcity mindset seem to think not only are, are resources limited, but you're like competing for those resources, but right? Because there's finite resources. If somebody else has a resource, that means you're not getting it, right? So instead, you're trying to foster some collaborative relationships so that you can build together instead of competing with one another. The second one is practice gratitude. So write down things you are grateful for each day or at the end of each week. And this is an easy and tangible way to help shift to a more abundant mindset. Like look at all I have and not a scarcity mindset. Number three, notice and redirect automatic thoughts. So if you see that you're you're thinking negatively, you're thinking about competing with other people, you're thinking you're less than, you're thinking you're not going to have enough, notice your thoughts and allow you to ask the questions to see if those thoughts are actually true and if they're beliefs that you want to hold. Okay. And then if not, you can start replacing those thoughts with a different perspective. And then the last thing is advocate and give support. So part of developing a more abundant mindset is recognizing when you have resources and sharing them. And so the key point for that is when you have resources, right? And we need to be able to say, no, when we don't have resources and no, when we cannot support instead of stretching ourselves thin and supporting when we have the resources. I think that a lot of family members, myself included, may volunteer to help when they really can't help, right? They don't have their six months worth of bills in the savings account. They haven't diversified their investment portfolio. And then now they're helping somebody with their six months of saving. No, well, six months of savings is not help money. That's your six months. That's your savings, just in case another pandemic happens. You can help people with the surplus over your goal for your savings not from the savings. So recognize when you actually do have the ability to share. And when you don't, and when you don't, you, you say, hey, I'm sorry, I don't have the capacity right now. I wish I could help, but I can't. And move on about your business. That's real. I think that we're, we've learned that we're not supposed to, we're just supposed to help people regardless of what kind of situation it puts us in. And that's not the case, y'all. It's not the case. Because JoJo and them will have you outside homeless. Sure will. All right, Janine, are you ready for the motivational moment? Yes, ma'am. All right, and this one comes from Gabrielle Union herself. And she says, if you're not failing, you're not really trying hard enough. Failure is like salt. It's a part of the seasoning of my career. So 
Ask yourself, when is the last time you stepped out on faith and took a leap? Ladies, plan, execute, and fail enough for you to get a win. Until we meet again, pray, work, slay, and show off your melanated excellence. Bye! Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep BWC. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.